0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Coming to you from underneath a peach blossom. It's time for an episode of Be Awesome. Find positivity throughout your life and work. Just like our mascot rooster, see the Jerk. Hello, Be Awesome listeners, followers, and live members that are catching this real time right now. Uh, This is your host, Joshua Peach. I'm here with episode 97, which is a Really special episode as all our special episodes, but this is going to be really cool. Um, First of all, you guys notice Uncle Dave isn't here. Uh, Uncle Dave has been an elusive human being, uh, but I did catch him in Albuquerque, New Mexico for a few minutes and he is going to be back, but uh, he has been uh, up to his eyeballs with work and scheduling conflicts. So I'm going to do this solo and hopefully he can join in uh, some more of these episodes. So before I welcome our guest, what I want to do is share why he's here and then what the upcoming month is going to look like. Um, My guest today is Joe Bafia, and one of the things that he and I have in common, didn't know who he was, didn't know he existed until this week, um, and the one thing that we have in common is that we are both members of Jesse Itzler's Build Your Life Resume Program. And one of the things that I talk about when I do keynotes or I talk to companies or individuals is the same thing, which is if you don't invest in yourself professionally and personally, you can't count on somebody else to do it for you. Um, first and foremost, you have to look in the mirror and say, What do I want to do better? Who do I want to be as a person? And where can I go to find some of that guidance and some of those nuggets of knowledge? And uh, last December, I was searching for. Um, my, my challenge is balance. I think anybody that knows me knows that I'm way out of balance. I work a lot. I don't sleep much. Um, I care about making a difference in the world. Uh, I have two boys and a fiance and uh, goats and chickens and dogs and cats and rabbits and a hundred-year-old grandmother and my mother that live next door to me. And, you know, balance is tough. And so I found this program and uh, it's not cheap, but it's worth every penny. Uh, I got my return on investment in the first monthly call with Jesse Itzler. He does a one, uh, webinar zoom call live every month that you can sit in on. You can ask questions. Um, he provides a, a big ass calendar, which was the selling, one of the selling points, which is a five foot by three foot foldable calendar that you can take with you old school. Um, and the other pieces, there's roughly 1500 or so members as best I can tell. And, uh, what I found was a lot of the members have great stories. I think every member has a story. I think everybody has a story. Many don't know maybe how to tell it or some don't have a place to tell it. And so what I did two weeks ago was I put a post in our private community and said, any member that wants to be on the podcast, uh, I will make time and we will make an episode and we will figure it out. And Joe was the first person to take me up on that offer. Um, And he's got uh, in 10 minutes, I learned uh, quite a bit about him. I found some commonalities I found some uh, relational discussion that we could have and he's going to kick it off. And so for the upcoming month, the one thing that every person that has in common, probably I'm not going to know most of them, um, and it could be two people, could be just Joe. I don't know. I don't know how many other members are going to want to come on, um, but I'll I'll have all 1,500 members on um, because I think that everybody that wants to have a voice and has something to share should have that opportunity. And our podcast is it. So Without f- further ado, my new friend, my podcast guest of the day, this is his first episode. For those of you that are watching and listening live, hey, be easy on him, but ask ask questions. Feel free to interact. We're going to answer all the questions that might come up. But uh, Joe, welcome. And uh, can't wait to, to get in here with you and talk about uh, all that you've done and are doing in life.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, uh, thanks Josh, for uh, giving me the... Uh... The recognition of being the first, right? So I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't come in first for, for too many things. So it's good to have a first <laughs> on my resume. Um, well,
1: hopefully you're not the last too. We're still looking to get some more members on here. So we want, want you to be the first with others to follow.
0: Absolutely. And I'll be the commercial message now to encourage anybody else to jump on it because I was a little hesitant, you know, when I reached out to you because I thought, you know, I've never been on a podcast before, but you know what, if he's making this option or offer to us, you know, why not go out there? Maybe somebody can glean something from me or, or maybe I can make a connection or a new friend with somebody uh, that, that listens to this one. So I would encourage as many people to jump on and uh, you may not think you have an interesting story, but I, like you said, I think everybody has one. They just have to put it out there.
1: Yeah. So that's, yeah, excited to do it. So, so let's, let's talk about Joe is the person, you know, tell us a little bit of a, the background and, uh, you know, who you are, how you've become who you are and, and, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, I am, um, uh, I am, uh, uh, I'm 50 years old, married for 27 years, got two boys, 24 and 21. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, but I guess I'll, 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 I'll give the short version. Uh, I, I was born and raised in, in Chicago, Illinois. Um, Of divorced parents, my my mother raised me in the in the inner city with my brother and sister. Um, I am first generation here in the United States. Both my parents immigrated here when they were teenagers um, from Poland. Uh, So actually, the funny kind of side story there is that going into kindergarten, the first language I spoke was Polish because my grandmother really raised me while my mom was at work. So uh, the fun fact was, you know, here I am, American citizen, going into kindergarten. I didn't speak a lick of English, um, but quickly picked it up. And uh, now my my Polish is very, very rusty uh, since my gr- grandmother's passed. So I haven't uh, practiced that. But uh, yeah, grew up in the inner city of Chicago. Um, didn't have much mentorship from my parents because they really didn't know how to, you know, encourage someone to pursue bigger things, just get a job and try to try to make a living. But kind of a, I've always been a type A self-motivated person and uh, decided, you know, that maybe college was something I should try, even though I didn't want to do it. And Uh, went to University of Illinois. And then from there, uh, a lot of different life experiences and lessons. I I worked for a rental car company for 10 years. I quit that job to spend more time with my family and started a retail hockey store in Iowa. Uh, And then from there, uh, that store had to close. The economy was bad. Took an entry-level job in agriculture. And, And if you remember, I just said I'm from the inner city of Chicago, where we don't have much agriculture. Mm -hmm. and uh, I took a job uh, in the agriculture insurance industry, knowing nothing about it. And now fast forward, I'm celebrating my 12 year anniversary with this company. Uh, That's my day job, and doing um, uh, insuring farmers, uh, working with uh, insurance for for farmers who are uh, growing our crops here in the United States. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I've been doing that for 12 years as my day job, Uh, but really kind of picked up a new passion three years ago where I've gotten into real estate, uh, hopefully that is my retirement plan. Uh, we are in uh, short-term rent, vacation rentals. We do have some long-term rentals as well that we lease out, but my son and I, my 21-year-old son and I, we uh, operate and self-manage uh, vacation rental properties uh, throughout North Carolina, one in California, uh, some on the beach, some in the mountains. And uh, that's kind of a a quick nutshell of of, of kind of where yeah. I started to where I am today.
1: So, um just out of curiosity and comfort you you specifically said that your your mom raised you um did you did you not do you not have a relationship with your father when you were growing up did you reconcile at some point is he still alive i mean just some some kind of random questions because i think it's going to tie in with your your son and your relationship just out of yeah
0: no uh thanks for asking that um you know my parents got divorced uh when i was in sixth grade uh and then we relocated to live with my grandparents actually and at that point the relationship with my father was severed Uh, an alcoholic uh, not abusive but just did his own thing uh, and didn't Mm -hmm. really care to do much with us. And that was it. We were good to go on our own without him. Um, my brother and sister and my mom, you know, we just kind of started our own life. Uh, it's its funny you ask, did I reconnect? I did. Uh, after high school, um, he had been through the AA program and had been sober for, I can't remember how many years, but it was a significant amount, maybe, six or seven years. And he, you know, tried to reconnect back with us. And I reconnected back with him. He had a construction company. I worked for him actually after high school uh, in the summers. Um, and the funny story with that is that he actually was the best man at my wedding, but we were more friends versus father, son. I mean, we reconnected on a more friend level than, a, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't want a dad to come in my life. I was good to go on my own mm-hmm. and um, and reconnected with him. Uh, and, and really kind of kept a, a, a decent relationship. Uh, he did pass back in 2011, I think. Um, so he's not around anymore either. But, you know, at least up to that point, I can say that, you know, we re- at least reestablished something where we hadn't made a connection. He got to see his grandkids and had a good mm-hmm. relationship with them and, and did some of that. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be that father for, for my boys that, you know, I didn't have for me because I'm all about – you know, playing sports and coaching and all that stuff that I never had uh, an opportunity for somebody to do that with me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did your mom remarry?
0: Nope. Nope. Still alive, still on her own, still in Chicago. She's retired now. So, uh, she'll come down here for four to six weeks stints at a time, but, uh, nope, didn't remarry.
1: That's awesome. So she was, she was mom and dad and did an awesome job with you. No, I, I asked the story and you're going to, you're probably going to be um, somewhat amused at that why, I, why I asked and had no idea. I knew that your father was, uh, not, I knew, I knew you shared the father. Your father was an alcoholic, but none of the other stuff. Um, my mother left my father uh, right around my first birthday. Um, and they separated and I spent the better part of the next three years living at my grandparents' house of Portuguese descent. Uh, and I was their interpreter and, um, was raised by them and my mother. And uh, I actually, um, I did. I, I had reached out, had my mother reach out to my biological father on my 19th birthday, which was also my high school graduation, and asked that he be be there to try to reconnect. And I went through the exact same thing. Didn't have the positive outcome that you did. Uh, I unfortunately got to uh, meet my father, my biological father. Never called him dad. A lot of the same thing. Like you know, it was more of a friendship than a parentship. Um, and unfortunately, went our uh, separate ways after realizing that the, uh, the, the original separation was, a, was probably the right decision to have, but, but, but a hard one. Um, but I also think that the, the psychological piece, because when you were sharing, we'll get into your son and you working together, that, that, that was, that's something that is kind of trying to break the mold. Um, you know, and I don't know previous generation stuff for you, but, um, you know, you look at kind of previous generation sometimes and you see a, 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 a cycle or a pattern. Um, and the, the key is to break that pattern. So, um, pretty, pretty cool. Um, did you, uh,
0: were were you trying to intentionally do things differently than the way you were raised with what you're doing now? I mean, did you like, with, with, with
1: with reconnecting with my father or with just with my life? Just with just with your life. Yeah. 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 So, um, it's been a struggle for me because I, you know, I spent the better part of 10 years. Um, you know, you go through this weird stuff where you, you try to find acceptance, even in the people that you probably shouldn't look for acceptance. In. And I looked for acceptance in someone that was willing to not have a relationship with their own son that they gave birth to that looks like him and everything else. Like I should have just been like, Hey, if you're going to be that guy, um, then I probably, you probably don't deserve my time. Um, and instead what I did when I was 19 was I worked my butt off to try to fit in his world and his mold to the point where, um, he actually had said at one point where, um, I wasn't supposed to hear, I was about 22 years old. He thought I was asleep. And I heard him say to his wife at the time, you know, if he doesn't want to come work for the business, then why is he even bothering with me? So it was like one of those non-emotional, you know, you know, weird, it was just weird stuff. Um, and it wasn't until you know 2012 2013 when i said you know i'm done I'm, I'm i don't need you in my life it's not not advantageous and it's not positive that i realized and i've been saying i don't i don't want to i don't want to establish and be that person i don't want to be someone that just looks at your child as someone to do your heavy work or whatever it is and and i want to be genuine and try to be more emotional but you know my challenge in life is that i never had Um, I've never had an emotional father figure. Um, my mother did remarry and hence my question to you. My mother did remarry and she remarried an amazing person, um, who unfortunately now is in a home with dementia. But, um, the things that my, that he didn't do, he did a lot. The things that he didn't do was, um, he didn't teach me about, um, emotion, you know, saying, I love you. He's only said, I love you once to me twice, actually. Um, he's only said, I love you twice to me. And, uh, one of them was when he, he was, had significant dimension, he may or may not have known what the words he was saying. Um, and so it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard for me. And so one of the things that I've always made a point to do at the very least is to tell my boys, I love them because I also have two boys, not, not up there in the age, the ages that you have. I I'm 15 and four figure that one out. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know um but i've i've always i i, I don't go a day or an, 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 an experience without um you know saying i love you and making my 15 year old uncomfortable and, and hug giving him a hug oh yeah. um because i know how much that feels um down the road right it's it might not be something he likes now but at some point when i'm old or dead he's gonna to wish that he had that hug and he, he'll know that he had them. So, um, but yeah, I do everything in my power to not replicate anything that, uh, and and it's tough because you have genes, right? You have, you have parts of you, Mm -hmm. their DNA. So, um, that's a hard, that's a hard thing. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure you've thought about, um, you know, addiction because that's something that can, that's something that can, typically if, if you've got a parent or a relative, that's got addiction issues, you might have addiction issues and it might not be the same addiction issue that they had. So he might've been an alcoholic. You might get into drugs. You might get into gambling. You might get into any number of other things. Um, you're, you might have an addiction to short-term rental properties, which it (laughs) sounds like that could be, uh, one of those, you know, one of those things. But, um, yeah, we, we try. I think I think the important thing is that we try to do things differently, but when we do things differently, we do them better um, and figuring that that part out. So. Um, but yeah. And thank you for asking, because nobody's ever asked that question, uh, so I'm, I'm glad I got it, got it out there.
0: Yeah, no. And well, you know, those things, those are the things that shape us to where we are today. It's, it's, it's maybe an underlying reason why I got into build your life resume and why I'm getting into offshoot things from my day job and why I spend so much time with my boys, but it's the whole foundation of not having that father figure. And, you know, when, when he was out of the equation, I I think that's when my personality changed to nobody's looking out for me, except me, you know, like I knew my mom was taking care of us and she did an awesome job, but With her working as much as she did, I thought, hey, as a seventh grader, I got to figure things out on my own because ain't ain't nobody coming here to help. And from that point, I've kind of had that. And I thought, well, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to live the best life I can. And and like I said, I think that's maybe what led me to partially what led me to some of the build your life resume stuff.
1: Yeah. So you're a little bit further ahead because I think you you're on your second year in the are you on your second year?
0: Just yeah, first. but but there's a there's a, a good story to that, too. The first year I did it, I only did the calendar, meaning I paid the ninety nine bucks just to get the big calendar, the big ass yep. calendar. Yep. Um, you know, I had read Jesse's living with the sealed book. And that's kind of how I got even to know that Jesse even existed, followed him on Instagram. and I saw one of those Instagram ads about this cool big calendar that you could see at a glance the whole year. And I did that. So I didn't actually join the program. I just got the calendar itself with a couple other books and things like that. Yep. And, um, that alone made a huge difference in my life, just that calendar itself. Uh, and it's yep. normally posted behind me here, but I actually was traveling last week for work. So I folded it up and took it with me because I did some stuff to it. But then, then this more current year is my first year actually, um, you know, doing the whole thing, doing the the whole program and having the access to the other people and, and the videos. And, you know, phenomenal, like you said, I I think, you know, you glean so many things and bounce ideas off people and hear what people are doing. And um, it's amazing to me how many people that have normal day jobs, normal families can still do so much, but yet I've got friends who say, how do you have time to do all this? You know, but yet they're the ones who come home from work and turn the TV on and watch, binge watch for four or five hours and say they got no time. And that that doesn't work for me. I'm I'm all about, you know, life accomplishments.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it 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 resonated with me. And the first thing I do in every one of my keynotes it, at some point in the keynote, I always talk about, because when you talk to people, like you say, everybody's busy, we're all busy and none of us have time. But the reality is, and I ask this in every audience and I to sometimes give a prize. I say, someone tell me how many hours there are in a week. How many hours are there in a week? 168. If you don't know that, how many hours you have in a week, you don't know what to work with. And Jesse just extrapolated that to the 365 days and how many hours you have in that that year and planning out your year. Most people don't plan out their day. I'm a person that plans out in a week or weeks. Jesse's a person that plans out his life in year year a year or years, which is amazing. Um, and for him to be able to do that and adjust. And, and for those of you that don't know, and how I came to n- understand and know who Jesse was, was there was a um, the previous company I was with, our CEO is an ultra marathon runner Attempted to run across the country. He's run across the state of Georgia. Raised a bunch of money for for veterans programs. And I didn't even know what an ultra marathon was. Like when I found out about it, I'm like, "What are you nuts? Like, how many miles are you going to run? Like, the marathon's long enough. Like, I don't drive the length of a marathon most <laughs> days. people are running, you know, a hundred days. And so, um, the company had uh, this speaker, Joel Runyon, come in. I didn't even know who he was, <clears throat> and uh, he shared this story. This was probably three, four years ago. And he shared this story about Hell on a Hill, which Hell on a Hill, Jesse Itzler's got this beautiful property, uh, riverfront property in Connecticut. And every year he invites a group of people to come out and go up and down the hill in his backyard that goes down to the river. And it's, it's intense. And um, he talked about this Hell on a Hill and I'm like, who is this Jesse Itzler guy? And then all of a sudden I look and it's like, he founded Marquee Jet and sold to Warren Buffett. He owns part owner of the Atlanta Hawks. He owned a, a coconut water company. I think it was Zico, um, and and he went through all these trials and tribulations in life. And then he wrote two books: one, living with a monk, where he went out and he practiced being a monk for a period of time, um, and then living with a seal, which is, um, you know, the guy's scary. I mean, you can follow him and try to try to be like, you know, rah rah, I can do this. David Goggins is a he's he is someone that you're just going, Oh my God, what in the world? Like being a Navy SEAL wasn't enough. You needed to go into the army special forces and then you had to go into, he's covered every sports special force, I think in every branch. Um, and he's an ultra runner. Um, he was wildly overweight and, and, but, uh, I think his tagline is stay hard. And I, I I get like, I have nightmares watching his Instagram videos. So, um, yeah, Kathy, I forgot that early on, uh, he was also a break dancer and rapper, Jesse James. Thank you. Yes, that was his early his early days um, and where he went into debt and he went through all the trials and tribulations and challenges and then came back. And uh, Sue so can say it loud, say it proud. We're going to continue to do that. Thank you. And thanks for joining us. Um, but yeah, so I I saw who he was about four years ago. I started following him on Instagram and, and doing all that stuff and then um i saw this this membership come up and i'm like man this is this might be something in my wheelhouse to to try to get involved in um and before we go any further have you done your Misogi? do you have a misogi what are you what are you doing i, I don't have one so i'll be the first to say i am i am a way underachiever right now uh because i look at some of the things these people are doing and i go man what i'm thinking about doing is not even worthy <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I did. I did have one. Um, I say had in the sense that, uh, I attempted to climb Mount Whitney a couple years ago. It's the highest peak in the lower 48 in San in California. My boys and I tried to do it uh, about two years ago and I couldn't finish it. I got altitude sickness, got a massive headache and started to come down. And so I said my Masogi was going to be to actually accomplish it. Well, to hike Mount Whitney, it's a raffle based deal. So you have to put in for a raffle and get your dates picked and, um, so I was all excited. I, you know, you pick 12 dates and, you know, for the most part, they say, you're going to at least get one of the 12. Well, I didn't get any of them.
1: Yeah. And,
0: um, so I was kind of disappointed because I thought that was going to be it, but I thought, well, I can pick something different. Yeah. But through, through the build your life resume, I had shared a comment that said, ah, oh, bad news. I, I can't do my Masogi this year. Well, another member, oh gosh, and I can't remember her name. I think it's Kate. She's going to hit, kill me if I said, if it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, one of the members said, Hey, there is another way to get a ticket. Um, they release all unused dates on this day, go in here at midnight or whatever it was and check it. And so I did that and I got a date, but then another issue came up a conflict with work and I couldn't make the date I got picked. So now I'm back to searching for another misogi uh, I am doing hell on the Hill in Maine. Uh, in September. And I don't know if we talked about that on the last call, you and I. But no, we didn't. My son and I are going to do it. So we didn't do the cool. one, the first one, but we are going to do the one in Maine. Um, So maybe I'll make that mine because I'm not, well, Jesse, Jesse says you're not supposed to say you're not a runner, but I don't like to run. I don't hmm. enjoy running. I do it straight for mental. the the mental challenge of, can I finish it? Can I accomplish something? But I don't run on a regular basis. I don't have part of a running group or anything like that. So this will be a, this will be a challenge for me, but I'm excited to do it.
1: How how far, uh, how far up did you make it? Mount Whitney's 14,505 feet. It looks like.
0: Yeah. uh, I made it about halfway. I think the entire, I don't know if you're on the website there, you're seeing it. Is it like 11 miles or something like that? Or 12 miles?
1: I'm trying Um, to find that. uh... I made
0: it halfway. So um, right up until about the point where uh, they start having a lot of of zigzag back and forth trails. Um, Mm -hmm. I I tried to push through. Uh, I probably like like Goggin says, (laughs) you think you you think you can't go any further, but you can. And I probably could have. And that's why it it haunted me. And that's why I made it my Misogi to say, hey, I want to. I want to do it again because I know I can. We got there the day before the hikes. I didn't altitude adjust properly, and I think I just rushed into it too quickly. So this time it was going to be get out there four days in advance, do a couple Mm -hmm. short day hikes, get at that altitude early, and kind of acclimate to it and and do a little bit of preparation. But uh, I'll I'll get there.
1: Yeah. It's, um, It's amazing that these conversation pieces are tying together. It's like we're long lost brothers and didn't realize it. Um, but in 2018, one of my um, one of my greatest inspirations and, and my who I call my five the closest five people in my life is uh, Aaron Ralston, and uh, Aaron Ralston is the real life 127 hours. So he was uh, he was attached to a crevasse by a 1,200 pound rock in Blue John Canyon for 127 hours, and then removed his own arm to oh, yeah. uh, to survive. Yep. And so in 2018, when I launched Be Awesome, uh, Aaron and I were at the top. I literally made the announcement in Colorado Springs in in June of 2018. And on my way home, I was taking a red-eye flight out of Denver. So I drove from Colorado Springs to Denver and I, I called Ralston and he was doing a keynote at uh, the convention center. So I went and met him and he actually, I pretended I was him. I had his name badge and nobody noticed that I had both arms, which was kind of funny, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but we got done and we went to the top of the Hyatt for the sunset and had a, a drink of tequila and they're uh, sitting and he says, man, peach, you inspire me. And like, when you have somebody that's accomplished all that Aaron's done, never mind removing his own arm, but he's also the only person in existence to climb every 14 or solo in the winter. He's, and he's also climbed every 14er in the winter, half of the 14ers in the winter and skied down. And so when someone and, and, and countless other accomplishments, um, never mind the fact that he was on an episode of Tosh.0. And, and uh, you know, that, that was one of my friend's claims to fame. He's like, he was on Tosh.0. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. But yeah, I yeah. guess so. I mean, it's all over the place. <laughs> right. But uh, so we're looking out in the mountains and he says, Pete, you would inspire me. And I just puffed my chest out and I said, Wow. This is this is a, a moment in my life that I n- never thought I'd have. And uh, he says, you don't think at all. You just do things. And I was like, okay, um, this was going in a good direction that I thought I was going to feel good about myself. And now I question what I should feel like. Right. And we're looking out and he says, I'll tell you what, you're overweight, which I am. I, I weigh 270 plus pounds. I could shed 90 pounds and probably still have some to lose. He goes, you're out of shape. You're at zero above sea level. But if I challenge you to climb one of those 14ers, you'll at least do everything that you can and try. And I said, okay, um, are you going to be my guide? And he says, yeah. He says, you're going to bring the knife? And he says, yep. I said, I'm in. And so <laughs> it, so, so I go through you know, what to get, the camelback water, hydration, the food. I cheated. Um, there's actually altitude pills that you can yeah. take that yep. trick your body at sea yep. level, which is absolutely awful for you like I did the research after the fact I was just looking at ways to cheat and potentially give myself an advantage because time wasn't on my side and right. then afterwards I did some research and I'm like oh my god these pills are actually terrible for me and I probably should have realized that um but uh, I got up the day before I went to Vail um had an event and then we went to um to climb and two weeks beforehand was like ideal climbing absolutely no snow on the mountain it's October was going to be able to wear, you know, shorts and hiking sneakers and be comfortable. And the week before he called me, Ralston called me. He's like, Peach, you need all winter gear. It's going to snow every day all the way up to the hike. And it snowed all the way up to when we started the hike. And that feeling like you tell people about altitude sickness, it's the real deal. Like we started at like 9,500 feet above sea level. And I got to thirteen five, I think, thirteen seven. Um, not quite the distance it's seven miles round trip. So, um, but he, I've, there's videos on my YouTube channel of like us, us on the first third of the hike. And I'm like, yeah, Hey, this is great. And I'm, I'm definitely winded in at 13 and change. I don't have my backpack on. I'm drooling all over myself. I can barely breathe. And I'm literally leaning on my walking poles as if it's, it's holding my life together. Um, and I finally, you know, collapsed. They left me on the side of the mountain. Cause I told him to, it was his, him and his girlfriend. They continued the climb. And then I did the descent by myself, which was scary. I'm um, not going to lie, but I'm in that boat. I, I, I was just at the doctor's office. I uh, get my physical and I'm like, Hey, you think I could, think I could still pull this off at 47. He's like, yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta probably uh, lose a few pounds. Um, but you know, you could probably pull it off and I'm like, well, probably is good enough. So, um, my key is to, to find the time this year to actually, to actually do it. But if I could have a Masogi, that's going to be, you know, getting that last five, 600 feet of vertical under my belt and saying, you know, putting my, my be awesome flag in the ground and saying, I, I got there. So, um, so cool. And I, I don't think I need a ticket for mine so I can, I can just get out to Colorado and start hiking.
0: Well, maybe you and I need to, uh, outside of a Masogi, we need to do one together or something. Maybe we need to yeah. uh, you know, join forces and, and and do one. When I was doing mine, it was me and my two boys and a good friend of mine from California. And halfway up when I was doing it, I said the same thing. I said, how are you guys feeling? They said, good. I said, finish. You guys are here. Finish this. I'm going down. And my older son said, you are not going down by yourself. I'm going to go down yeah. with you. This is not, my, I don't even want to be here, but I did it because you were kind of telling us to go. So let me walk <laughs> down with you. So my younger son and my good friend, they made it to the top. My son said his head was going to explode. And when he got to the top, he didn't even want to do the picture at the top where it says, hey, I got here. He was just like, just let, the, let, let an animal or something come and kill me now. I don't even want to walk
1: down. Yeah. Just be well, that's, You don't think about that. You're mm-hmm. only halfway there when you get to the top.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you, when he finished, my son is cut from the same cloth as me. Type A, very cocky. he i mean we would go to the restaurant like just to let you know i've climbed the highest peak in the lower 48 to the the server like you know this is the rite of passage and a bragging thing and we're like okay we got it we got it so now my older son i said we have to do it just so he doesn't have this on us
1: yeah no absolutely absolutely it's it's uh it's funny when i just made the comment about you know you're only halfway there another another person i've had the honor to spend some time with and meet is a, a teacher by the name of andrew brash and he was the opening keynote for me in, uh, in Banff, Alberta, uh, a couple years ago, and it's in the way that I look at opening keynotes, they 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 kind of tee the, the closing keynote up, right? They're the amp they're the amp person. They get the, the, the crowd amped up and ready to go. And yeah. I'm just a regular guy. I mean, my claim to fame is you know not making it up a 14er and paddling a giant pumpkin down a river a couple of times. I'm just an ordinary guy. And and Andrew gets up and he's uh he his opening is the first time I climbed Mount Everest. And I'm sitting here going, all right, that's a it's a hell of an opening because that would indicate that you've done it more than once. And uh, it's because the first time he climbed it, he was about 50 yards from sticking that proverbial flag in the ground. And he came up on a naked man, the top of Mount Mount Everest. um, And the guy says, I bet you're surprised to see me here. And what had happened was the, the naked guy was part of an expedition from the previous day that collapsed and his crew thought he died and they left him there. And so he spent the night on the mountain Took his clothes off because when you have hypothermia, that's what you do, and had survived. And so Andrew had a decision to make climb down the mountain, not get my reach my life goal, and potentially save this person's life who will most likely die, or finish this and just let him, you know, let him perish. And he chose to save, try to save the person's life. And he did. That general, that person left, lived for, I believe, another 10 years. I think he was from Australia um, and survived for another 10 years. And I was just sitting there going, you're right. You're right there. I mean, I would have done the same thing. I, I would have probably been delirious. I mean, 29,000, 29 feet is, that's a, that's a way the heck up there type of thing. But, uh, oh, yeah. you know, these guys train for us, not for the faint of heart, but yeah, no, I'd love to, I'd love to figure out how we could do a, do a hike. Um, You know, when you're up here, there's a hike. If, I don't know how much time you're going to have, but Mount Washington, while not the altitude, it is a hard climb. I mean, that's, that actually records the worst weather anywhere in history. Is uh Mount Washington in New Hampshire, which is a little bit of a hike. I can't remember where Hell on the Hill is in, in Maine, but I think it's probably within an hour or two. Um, but uh well that's good for you doing Hell on the Hill. I that's that that's that's is it's the equiv is it equivalent of a half marathon or a full marathon?
0: Half marathon is my understanding, yeah.
1: Yeah, with serious grade. And what people don't understand is when we talk about getting to the top of something and then going down, it's also in, in many instances, it's more strenuous on your body going downhill than is uphill.
0: 100%. I'm, I'm a big backpacker, so I can do long distances. We'll, we'll backpack 20 to 26 miles over a one to two day span. I cannot stand going downhill, even on small inclines, the pounding on your knees and all that, man, I would yep. much rather do a slow climb up than down.
1: Yep. No, 100%. So, um, well, this is, this is good stuff. I mean, I, i can't even get over all of the commonalities and the That's life's, you know, now you're gonna tell me you get goats and guinea hens, and I'll be like, Man, I don't. I on? don't <laughs> Well, it, before we get into your to the to the book, um, which I have, um, before we get into the book and before we get into kind of this other this other part of your life, which we talk about retirement and working with your with your uh your son, what is what is like farmers like crop insurance or how do what What is that? What is that actually? I didn't even know that existed. Um, So what does that mean? And what do people do or get? I mean, what does it prevent them from? Uh, Because there's so many crops that are that are being caught. I I ask this because I can't find sriracha sauce anywhere because pepper crops were destroyed this year. And I think India or overseas. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, in the simplest form, we sell a policy to a farmer that if they have bad weather and their crops don't grow, we pay them. So no different than if you have an insurance policy on your car and you wreck your car, insurance company gives Mm -hmm. you money to buy a new car, right? Well, if a farmer doesn't grow corn, he has nothing Mm -hmm. to sell, then he can't pay off his loans or his equipment or his bills. So the insurance policy will pay him for the corn he didn't grow, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's all it is. And I I use corn as an example, of course, because that's probably the most common crop or the the Mm -hmm. largest crop. But I mean, you know, there's hundreds of crops that are insurable across the United States. Um, We only work in the United States. Uh, Our company... Um, insurers in, in in every state. I cover the state of Maine to South Carolina, so I have a very diverse uh, variety of crops that we insure. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything from potatoes in Maine that are sold to McDonald's, uh, they mm-hmm. grow a lot of the potatoes up in, in northern Maine, down to uh, uh, cotton, tobacco, um, you know, soybeans, hemp, we're now insuring hemp, uh, we oh. do, cran we do cranberries in Massachusetts. I had an opportunity to be in a cranberry bog doing a cranberry harvest uh, in, yep. in Massachusetts. Uh, and again, and everything in between. So we essentially will, uh, we don't, our company writes the, is the insurer, but we have agents who go out there and deal with the farmers and sell them the actual policy, but uh, it only covers mother nature events. So if there is a lack of rainfall or too much rain, uh, hurricane, wind, uh, drought, disease, wildlife damage—any of those things—the uh, policy kicks in, gives them some money, so that way they can farm again. And uh, agriculture is, you know, is a, a huge part of what this country does. And the more we can keep in-house here versus uh, importing from other countries, and we do import a lot. Don't get me wrong, we import a lot. We also export a lot as well. But um, try to have that uh, safety food net here in the United States. We 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 hope to protect some of that. So that's that's my day job.
1: Yeah. Well, potatoes in Maine are good for French fries at McDonald's, but they're also good for vodka. Um, they are. Little known, little, little known factoid, there are a number of vodkas out there that are manufactured and made with potatoes out of Maine.
0: Fun fact, we insure sweet potatoes in North Carolina, and you can make vodka out of sweet potatoes as well.
1: Wow. I want, I've i never had a sweet potato vodka before. Does yeah. it taste like a, more like a sweet have you? Yeah, I've, I've
0: had it. Um, I don't think it tastes much sweeter or anything like that. I just it's yeah. it's a little bit of a different flavor, but uh, but that's a that's a big distillery down here that does that too.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, one of the inter- interesting because it, and it may it may or not be interesting, but in in uh, New Brunswick, I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or if it's a provincial thing, but I know in New Brunswick there's twenty six or twenty eight vineyards that produce wine. And the the provincial law is you cannot make wine if they're not grapes that are made and grown in New Brunswick. Anybody that knows New Brunswick, Canada, the grape growing season is about three minutes. So right. they they make wine with rhubarb and apples and all these different different other crops that are hardier uh, and able to grow in, in New Brunswick. And what's crazy is, and I, I wish I knew we were going to talk about this because there's one ma- Magnetic Hill Vineyards in Moncton, New Brunswick, that they make dessert wines. And I have a rhubarb. It's a rhubarb, peach, and something wine that literally tastes like you're sipping apple pie. It's unbelievable. Um, but that's really cool that you guys do that because we're seeing just with weather. I mean, up here, we're in a drought. I mean, it's, it's awful. I yep. mean, my grass, my grass is brown. I'm not using my irrigation system because I'd rather water. I mean, what little, what little help I do by not watering my lawn, hopefully helps in other places, yeah. but nothing's growing. Nothing, you know, if you're, I mean, it's, it's really tough. I mean, we're going to have a hundred degree. It's just crazy weather. So for these poor farmers that are doing their absolute best um, and knowing that there's something out there, I never really thought about uh, farmer's insurance. That's pretty, pretty cool.
0: Yep. And from a, for a city kid from Chicago who's never, uh, I, I the, the joke I make is my front yard, uh, and this is not exaggerating, was probably five feet deep, eight feet wide of grass. Like that was yeah. the only agriculture I knew. And my grandfather cut it with hand shears. He didn't even have a mower. He just had these like choppers yeah. that you cut the grass with. So for me to be the city kid in agriculture now doing that, um, it, it's uh Really eye-opening, and, and, and I've loved it. It's given me an opportunity to travel and see some places and things I would have never seen before. So great opportunity.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's huge. And that when I made the comment about paddling a giant pumpkin down a river, I did it twice. I did. I did it with my friend of mine, farmer Todd, Todd Sandstrom, um, who works on a farm now, um, a community farm. And the reason why we did it was... Um, and he, he got me into this passion and understanding is most kids don't know where food comes from, especially city kids. They just don't, it comes from boxes and bags. Right. Um, so, so he started this pumpkin growing program on schools, on school grounds. And I was just in Wisconsin this week and I was so energized and amped up. I was in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, which is about 30 minutes from, from uh, Milwaukee. And, uh, they have courtyards and they're growing produce in the courtyards with raised garden beds and the kids and the parents and the faculty mm-hmm. are, are in charge of growing all that. And then I left there and I went to Concordia University, which they have the second um, most energy efficient built with sustainable and, and repurposed materials building in the state of Wisconsin. And they're mm-hmm. doing aquaponic growing of produce. And there's, I'll put some pictures on the Be Awesome page because it was fascinating. But they have this enormous tank mm-hmm. that you that's just got one little hole in it, and you can see the walleye swimming around, which are a fish. Um, so they're they're farm raising fish
0: mm-hmm. for
1: for eating purposes. But while they're growing, this tank collects all of the the, the excrement, the the bio waste, goes through a system, and it actually fertilizes. Mm-hmm the lettuce and everything that it's fascinating. And when you look at the it. produce that they're growing, like I just wanted to make a salad. It was, it just looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's just really cool to see all of the things that people are doing. Cause you're 50, I'm 47. Um, and we talk about our grandparents. I kind of grew up in a, and uh, I guess we could call it poor. Um, my grandmother made most of my clothes and we, a lot of times we farm, Uh, if we didn't, if we didn't grow it, um, we got eggs from our chickens. And when they didn't make eggs anymore, they made great soup. Um, (laughs) So, you know, but there was a period of time that was in the 70s and 80s. There was this period of time in the 80s and 90s, and even early 2000s, where you didn't have to do much, everything just kind of just showed up at the table, and you didn't have to ask any questions. So it's really great to see more people getting involved. in and farming. It's great to know that there's companies company or companies out there that are doing things like you guys are doing to protect and allow these farmers cuz they lose a crop if they don't have something like that. Uh it could be lights out for them. Oh, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so let's so let's again you get a couple of years ago. So you're 47. So there's still hope for me. Uh you you you're 47 3 years ago and you you say, "Hey, you know what? Uh I read some of your books." So It started out, you bought a house in the mountains for, I think, $140,000 because the original intent was, and if I screw something up, just shut me up and have me start over again um, because I'm on minimal sleep this week. But I think the story goes, it was, you bought a house in the mountains for about $140,000. You're 47. Life is good. You got a good job. You were buying it as a second home for, for vacation purposes, to fit family time. Um, and you, as many f- folks that do that quickly understood was it's not being utilized enough. And Hey, maybe there's an opportunity for us to provide vacation, short-term rental space for people to, to live in there. Am I close?
0: You nailed it right on the head. Exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I amaze myself sometimes here, Joe. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah. so, so, so then you decide to start renting. This this property, this one property. And now we're talking about you having, you said, you know, eight properties. So kind of walk through, first of all, walk, walk through that feeling. Like I daydream all the time about a vacation property. But the reality is, my, my sole purpose house right here is more of a pain in the neck. Like I sit here most days and go, man, it wouldn't be wouldn't it be nice to live in a condo where people could mow my lawn and plow, plow my snow and do all this stuff what do I want a headache of a second home to live in or to rent out? So kind of t- tell me what that, what that was like, you know, the decision that you made and then that transition and then kind of get into your, to your, your, your company. I mean, you've got a, it's a legitimate company with eight vacation properties.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, it, so just like you said, we bought it with the intention of just using it for ourselves. And then once we realized we weren't there all the time, I had just heard, I mean, you've, everybody's heard of Airbnb or or Verbo or any of those companies where you can rent property. So I thought, well, what would stop me from doing it? So let's try. And we figured if we could rent it like one weekend a month to make a couple hundred bucks to even just offset the mortgage a little bit, that, you know, that'd be a win. But we didn't know the first thing about it. Um, now I'll, I'll share that. Like I have um, the of extremely high risk tolerance. Nothing mm-hmm. scares me. I'll jump in both feet blind. Kind of like you just said with your friend telling you, like, you just seem to do it. Right. And I'm the yeah. same way, like not much thought and, and maybe some regrets <laughs> afterwards, but I just, I have this full speed ahead type of mentality. So I said, we'll figure it out. Let's just, let's find a way to make this listing and then we'll sort it out. Well, then somebody's like, you're four and a half hours from this house, Joe. Like it's in the mountains of Western North Carolina and I'm in Raleigh. It's four and a half hour drive. Like who's going to clean this place? And I'm like, I guess we got to find somebody to clean it, you know? And so through some networks of the realtor we use and the guy who did some work on the house for us, he found us a person that does some cleanings of other properties. You know, we reached out to her and kind of got her landed for that. Uh, and next thing, you know, you know, fast forward, We got a rental or two, but then all of a sudden you've got this app on your phone. It tells you when a booking comes in, it's like, it's like ringing. It's like Mm -hmm. booking, 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 booking. We're like, wait a minute. Like, why are all these people wanting to book this like cabin in the middle of nowhere? And, you know, we started looking at that and, you know, my son and I started talking, he wasn't kind of in the business with me at the time he was going to college and doing his own thing. But he said, Hey, you should replicate this, like buy another one and, and keep making money. Cause this is not a break even, like you're profitable doing this deal. And right. so we said, sure, let's do it. And, um, uh, you know, and you're I, building
1: I ass and you're building asset wealth.
0: Absolutely. I mean, even if it does break even, the appreciation on the house and the asset that you're keeping. Uh, not to mention, you get to use a vacation property almost for free for your family when you need to. Um, I won't go into detail with all how we got into all eight, but that's all we did was we bought another one and another one, and now my son—that's his full-time gig. He, he he self-manages all our properties. He works with the housekeeper, sets up the systems. You know, we have a property. We live in Raleigh, North Carolina. We have a property in California. So you don't have to have one in your backyard. You know, mm-hmm. we just, you just have to have the right people in place. Um, and that, and so what I had found was because I didn't know what to do, where do you go? You go to Google, right? You go to Google and say, how do I rent my house? And of course this um, I'll, I'll give a plug to this uh, forum. It's called bigger pockets. Uh, they're a, a, a real estate forum for real estate investors. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome platform. Uh, almost similar to kind of a build your life resume type of thing of similar type of people. and, People can post questions, get answers, get advice. And a bunch of people helped me sort things out and figure things out. Well, once I got comfortable, I was finding myself answering other people's questions. Mm-hmm. And my son and I, we would be on anywhere from five to six times a week in the evenings after my normal day job of people mm-hmm. saying, hey, do you have a, you know 30 minutes, 45 minutes to just answer some questions? And we were doing these Zoom calls. And I, I think my son said, man, we should just write a book. And I, again, like a runner, I'm not a runner. I'm not a writer. I never had a goal to write a book, didn't have any interest, but I thought if it saves me from five to six calls, the same exact pitch every single time. So I wrote Mm -hmm. this, I don't know. I got it here in front of me, 90 some page book,
1: 94 pages,
0: 94 page book. Yeah. Right there. That, uh, is a very easy, basic, the questions we would receive from people who have never done one, like how, how do I pick the market? Um, you know? And so it wasn't to make money. It wasn't to try to sell any kind of book thing. It was just to give us more free time because we're so willing to help other people because people were willing Mm -hmm. to help us, but we were running out of time. I mean, we couldn't do these 30 to 45 minute segments every evening, five days a week when I was working and we were trying to do other stuff. So we've, we've backed off on that and, and, and really kind of refer people to the book. We still do partnerships with other people and things like that, but, um, we love it now. Uh, my son finds the next deal and kind of pitches it to me. And then we we, we look to, to find where our next opportunity lies. And, and we love doing it.
1: Yeah. And I don't want you to give away all the secret sauce, although I think you give a lot of it in the book, which encourages people to spend the money and get the book. But uh, um, was there intention? And so, when, so I've thought about this a couple of times with, with what you're doing. And, and I don't, and I was going to ask in the next Part of my question is going to be, Is you don't do this through VRBO or Airbnb, you're completely marketing and doing everything yourself, or are you on those platforms too?
0: Sorry, we are on those platforms. Yeah, those those platforms get to the masses. When I say self-manage, it means we don't outsource it to a property management company.
1: Gotcha. So if
0: you bought a second house yourself, you could list it with me, for example, and say, Joe, I want you to manage it, and I'm going to pay you 20% of the gross rents. Because yep. I don't want the headache of dealing with guests or, you know, figuring out that they got locked out or the toilet paper, the toilet's <clears throat> broken. We right. self-manage. So we still use Airbnb and VRBO. The majority of our bookings come from those two platforms, not yep. most, all of our bookings <clears throat> come from those platforms. Although you can't yep. create your own website, you're just, you really got to market that. Whereas those two platforms already have the customer traffic going there.
1: Right. And and they do a great job. And I I get, I, I mean, I, A couple of years ago, so I've got, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to guess. I've got well over a million miles flown on, on just American airlines. And so, you know, I travel around all over the place and I'm a a Hilton diamond, platinum, gold, whatever person for many, many years. And, um, the reality of, of loyalty programs is there's not a whole lot left. Like, you know, if I, I saw on average, I could spend a hundred nights in hotel rooms um, across the, the year. And, you know, I don't get upgraded that often. I still look out at loading docks and, and other things. And so a couple of years ago, I was like, well, what's the point? And maybe there's some better stuff out there for me to do. So like I went out to San Diego, I was going to be at a conference in San Diego and I went on VRBO and I found a boat for rent. Yeah. And so, so I lived on the first time I was on uh, a 60 foot, I got to remember the type of boat, but this was a speedboat yacht. Like nice. we were able to take it out. We were, they gave us a captain and, you know, we paid an extra fee for it. But I had a three-state room, three-bedroom, three-bathroom, 60-foot yacht in the marina right next to where the conference was at the Sheridan. And I paid less than the hotel room. And it was just like a cool experience. And then uh, I got to give a, a shout-out to some of my one of my biggest supporters and his wife, Chris and Carrie Martinetti. Um, they are like VRBO. Like they find... The coolest properties and i just i just follow their lead so when i see that they've gone somewhere i'm like i i need to i need to figure out you know where they're where, where they're going they had this cabin they found up in uh, millinocket maine which is um, um mount katahdin we talk about hiking mount katahdin is in the northern part of the adirondack trail and it's one of the toughest hiking mountains out there um and they found this cabin that's on a peninsula that we, we went up for a week last year and we just we didn't see anybody for a week cause are antisocial. when we go on vacation. Now we used to be, we used to be Disney world and everything else and being in the thick of things. And it's, it was before COVID, um, that we got like this, but we like just quiet, peaceful family mm-hmm. time. So, um, but, um, so, so was it purposeful to, to, to have a place in California and a place in the mountains and a place on the beach or was it just like these deals just came up and they seemed too good to be true and you jumped on them. I, I
0: Yeah. Again, with the, with the high risk tolerance, we were, we we would look anywhere. So once we knew how, how to kind of set things up, we were open to anything. The California one came about because my older son moved from North Carolina after graduation to LA. And when we were out there visiting him, um, I said, you know, since we're out here, let's see if we can find a place that we could rent out, but we can also come and stay when we visit Nicholas. That's my older son. And Mm -hmm. so we found a little community, a mountain community, just North of LA about an hour and a half and we bought it uh and and started renting it out there and then a couple months later he moves to brooklyn so we've got this property that we're not going to use to visit my son anymore but it's one of our favorite ones it's in a great community um the beach one we just said we'd like to diversify we've got everything typically in the mountains uh and Mm -hmm. so hey let's try to see if we can find one of the beach and we Mm -hmm. did and this goes to show like my uh my just uh, action attitude We found the listing on a Friday night. My son and I had this argument banter all evening about this wouldn't work or this would work on this house that we found. We saw it Saturday morning. We offered on a Saturday afternoon and it was under contract Saturday evening. So within 24 hours of this house that we just kind of randomly found at a beach, we bought it. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's been doing great. So we're open to whatever. We'd like to stay in areas that we've already got some established housekeeping person that we know because it's easier yeah. to scale your group. But it's not necessary. If if a great deal came in New Mexico tomorrow and I've never even visited New Mexico, I'd, I'd buy it in a minute.
1: I was just there last week. I was in Albuquerque. Oh, yeah, okay. so, yeah um, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just out of randomness. It's, uh, yeah. The, the, New Mexico is beautiful and tons of opportunity. And And by the way. Um, if you want to get a property to rent, Albuquerque is, the, is like Hollywood Part 2. I had no idea, but they literally have Netflix and Paramount. They all have studios down there, and they're shooting more than Breaking Bad, which I didn't know anything about Breaking Bad until a couple months ago, uh, but that's that's in Albuquerque. But um, Stranger Things, which is the most popular kids, and I think it's the most downloaded of anything, the high school in stranger things the house in stranger things and the roller rink are all in albuquerque huh, um okay. but yeah uh, blue skies uh, i was there last thursday and friday i think it's there's a series called blue sky or blue skies i don't know anything about it but they had part of the city downtown shut down because they were shooting and filming there so little inside scoop you can rent to the rent to all the movie producers they're making all sorts of money so i'm sure they'll pay top dollar in rent we don't discriminate
0: um, we like money and we'll we'll we'll, 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 yeah. we'll, we'll buy anywhere
1: <laughs> Well, you know what's fascinating is the real estate market has been nuts the last three years. So, the last thing I would think about doing is buying a property because I want to wait until I would want to wait till everything kind of dies down and readjusts. I mean, my house value here just south of Boston in the last three years has doubled. I mean, it literally in the valuation according to Zillow and according to um, my mortgage broker and, and real estate agents and what they could sell my house for right now is astonishing. Like it yep. makes absolutely no sense to me. But you guys built your business during this time. Did you just, were you able to just find great deals or do you did you just say, you know what, we can still make money and pay a premium here and we're not worried about it?
0: Yeah. A combination of both. We found a couple of good deals um, where, you know, through some networking and connections of people we've met in the circles, you know, you got, you get some leads that maybe normal people wouldn't get. Yeah. So that's part of it. And we also did it three years ago and three years ago was not, it, it wasn't the start of it. So, you know, this is pre COVID where things were still yeah. kind of reasonable. So a, the first few properties were, were pretty good, but I'll also say that If I was to buy a house and rent it to you for a one-year lease you're going to pay me x amount of dollars a month it's going to be a a more traditional rent payment that is not the same amount of money we command in a short-term vacation rental people pay a premium for two or three Mm -hmm. days right so our normal uh, the one of the houses that we rent would maybe get twenty one hundred dollars a month to a tenant but we make maybe close to fifty five hundred dollars a month because we're renting it two, to three days at a time to retail vacation renters at a premium mm-hmm. price. So we can pay more than you would be willing to pay for a house that you want to make as your forever home or a vacation home because we're running it as more of a business and we charge more for it. So that's why we're okay paying even a, a higher price or, or, or even retail price. Uh, Now it has slowed now because we're being more selective. You know, you don't want to pay double or triple when maybe in a year from now you can pay less. But we're not stopping. My son's already got two or three that he's looking at that we're going to go see, and 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 we're we're not stopping. We say the best time to buy is today, not tomorrow. So,
1: right. I mean, it could it could could go up. I mean, we we talk about I talk about waiting for it to go down. But guess what? It's gone up a whole lot. Um, Curious. And then the next question I have on this because you're just sparking all sorts of brain pops in my head, Uh, especially like in the Raleigh area, downtown Raleigh. If you do a search for VRBO, I was going to go to an event last last, couple months ago down in Raleigh and, you know, they've got a beautiful uh, Sheridan there. They've got, they think the Marriott with the, with the rooftop restaurant and all that stuff, which is great to go eat and drink. But again, partly COVID, partly just being introverted. I did a VRBO search for downtown Raleigh and the number of homes that people have that they're renting short term. In a city that, it, I mean, I love Raleigh. It's a beautiful city. And it's come up a lot in the 25 years I've been coming there. But I wouldn't put that as a, as a mecca tourist attraction. You know, they've got some museums and they've got some stuff. But it doesn't, they don't have the, the Freedom Trail like Boston does and everything else. So I wouldn't, I, it could be a tourist attraction city, but I don't see it as being one. But there's a ton of short-term rental uh, opportunities there that everything from $60 a night outside of, the the town city limits to heart of city for 5 or 600 dollars are you looking at um short term rentals for areas like my assumption is raleigh's hustle and bustle for vrbo is because of the convention center which is beautiful and they're picking up you know more events and the um the red hat amphitheater for for mm-hmm. concerts and things but i would have never thought of 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 a home rental for you know two nights at a time there is is that something you guys are looking at or do you have properties like that we we don't have a property like that,
0: but we've got a handful of friends here in Raleigh that do own some short-term vacation rentals that they do on Airbnb and VRBO. Um, it's to what you just said. You know, you just said that more people are maybe going away from the normal hotel when they can get run yeah. of house or a cool condo in an area. Um, in the book, I talk about you know finding your market. You don't have to have a vacation market. Um, yeah. You know, there are people that have. Uh, It's a known city for business travel. So they have a lot of turnover for business people that now want to go and not stay in a crowded hotel. They want their own private space or they're traveling with their family. And hey, while I'm working, the family can have this run of house and it's a cool little house. So yeah, what you have to be watchful for is, many cities are putting very strict regulations on short-term rentals. Raleigh just lifted their ban where you have to now, you can get a short-term rental permit, but you got to have a permit where other cities say wide open. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want with your house. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. If I live in a neighborhood as my primary home, I don't want a constant revolving door of my neighbors, of these strange people coming in and out because that's not what I bought. So these communities are putting very strict rules in place that you can't even do short-term rentals they they limit it say if your rental is not more than 30 days you can't do it and so now that's an anti-short-term vacation rental investor you know and you have you have to know how to navigate that because if you bought a good house on a deal and then find out you can't short-term rental it you know you got to do your homework before you you get into that market
1: yeah is this do you do you think this is the the uh the the example of of kind of uber and taxis do you see that the tourism and hotel agencies are pushing back and saying hey you're 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 compromising our room nights and if you compromise our room nights our 15 story hotel might not be in business anymore and so you need to put all these restrictions in place yeah um interesting interesting i didn't i didn't even think about that i was I, i uh um yeah that's it's always it's 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 funny when you look at these these kind of neat you know, w- well, there's those statistics. It's like the largest livery system of, 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 uh, vehicles, you know, basically cab system is, is a, is a company that doesn't own a single vehicle, which is Uber. And then second being Lyft. Um, and the same thing with the largest provider of room night opportunity is not a hotel chain or any single hotel chain. It's VRBO or Airbnb, right. depending on who it is that that day, but they get this, um, they get this pushback and they get these challenges put thrown in place when it's really leveling the playing field for competition. It's allowing people to be competitive with big corporations and companies and to be able to be a small business owner with a large business backing, which I think is great and allows that entrepreneurial spirit, which is what you and your son are doing. So I think that's fantastic. Um, the comment section has been blowing up. Kathy has got a 1965 Airstream Hermasogi is to get her first rental property. It sounds like it's going to be her 1965 Airstream and she wants to find a piece of property to put it on. That'd be interesting. Airstreams are cool. Um, It's tough finding. I've I've
0: heard a lot of people doing that, uh, renting out those, you know, Airbnb now I think has a button called unique stays and like Airstreams are on there or these yurts. yurts. Yeah. Glamping. (laughs) Glamping. (laughs) And you know what, If, if she does it right, you know, yeah, you, you, can, you find a piece of property, it's fairly easy, you know, land is still available and you don't need much space. She could yeah. be very lucrative with that because it's very low overhead, low maintenance and, you know, uh, great profit. So I, I love the idea.
1: Yeah. And my buddy Chris was listening and uh, he says, thanks for the shout out. But unfortunately we don't have anything, anything booked this summer. Chris, you know why I know you don't have anything booked this summer? Cause we don't have anything booked this summer. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I know this stuff is going on. But he said, uh, this is an amazing podcast today. I can't wait to get my resume going and find my Masogi life is crazy. And much like you, I'm out of balance. So I need to work on that, but you are always opening my eyes to other things and perspectives. Keep being awesome. Thanks Chris. And appreciate you always sitting on here and uh and uh joining us and giving us your uh thoughts and ideas and get to work on a vacation place because uh you know we can't do something until you do um no and kathy i stand correct she was sharing about the airstream um she's bought a condo and then she's going to take the airstream across country so that's something rent out your rent out your rent out your house and then take off on a camper there you go take and take the money and run you know just Use that for the uh, the gas money and pulling pulling that thing around the country. So that's right. Um, well, Joe, I got to tell you, this has been awesome. Uh, I think we covered a whole bunch of ground. I think we uncovered a whole bunch of similarities. I'm hoping that more in the the Build Your Life Resume uh, group, we get to have I get to have conversations and they go like this because uh, I think you set the bar pretty good. Um, and I think just the reality that uh, we just kind of flowed with this and figured out all the things that we have in common, and now we have a climb. To uh, to look forward to and to figure out next. Right. So, um, how do people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your strategy and your book and and uh, some of the th- and keep up with you or connect with you?
0: Yeah, uh, you can uh, you can email me direct. It's just my first name and my last name. So it's Joe at gmail.com. Uh, no period in between. No underscore. Just Joe Bafia at gmail. Um, we my son and I did put together a website, the Bent Group. Uh, T-H-E-B-E-N-T-G-R-O-U-P, The Bent Group, Uh, just kind of our own little property company. And that talks, uh, you know, the the link to the book is there um, or uh, anything. All our properties are listed there. So you can see kind of what we own. There's links to book them. So if somebody would like to book one of ours, feel free to jump out there uh, and... uh, and that's the best way. If you're part of the build your life resume community, uh, you, of course, connect through the app and uh, or, or see you on hell on the hill in, in Maine uh, up, up there as well. But uh, th- th- that would be the best ways.
1: Yeah, well, this this was awesome. And, uh, and thank you for kicking it off with me. And as everybody knows that joins on these podcasts and listens in and, and um, follows along, um, I don't mind paying for my reviews and ratings in some capacity, meaning giving you merchandise, uh, typically a shirt or a coffee mug that says be awesome on it. But I also like to share with our community of people that are listening and doing things. So here's the deal. Anybody that does a five-star rating and a review uh, on our podcast, the next five people that do it, um, preferably on Apple Podcasts, but if you do it on any podcast platform, Email josh at beawesome.com, Then that's j-o-s-h at b-e-a-u-s-m.com. Tell me you did a rating and review. As soon as it hits, the next five people, I'm going to personally send out one of Joe's books. So if you took something out of this and you got some some something great out of it, um, please give us a five-star rating and review. We're in the top 2.5% of all podcasts globally. And part of that reason is because of the ratings and reviews. They make a difference. If it's not a five-star rating and review, send an email to that same email and tell me what I need to do to get there. Um, Because right now we're at 100%, 68 ratings and reviews, all five stars on Apple Podcasts. So for those that have done that, I can't thank you enough. For those that have been sticking around and have listened to the 96 episodes, I can't believe the number of downloads and listens we get every week. And we haven't published a podcast. We went almost a year. Then we did two uh, with Uncle Dave. And, and now we're going to get back on more regular. But those diehard uh, followers that have stayed on board, thank you so much. We're going to get more uh, episodes out regularly. This month, we're going to do the Build Your Life Resume. September, I've got some really good ones coming up for that. Um, And uh, in the meantime, if you can be anything, be awesome. Have a great day.